I can accept failure. What I cannot accept is not trying. Mm. That's the way I've always thought about it. The regret I would have not attempting something big would far outweigh anything else. So like, I'm a gunslinger at heart. I'm gonna be like, this has a chance to go big, let's do it. And if I fall on my face, I fall on my face and we'll pick up the piece where they may, but at least I know. Welcome to A Better Life with Brandon Turner. That is me, where world-class guests share their wisdom on building a better life. Join me as we explore the habits, the actions, and the beliefs that have guided their journey with the aim of helping you apply those lessons to your own. Hey, it's Brandon. So the first 10 minutes of the episode had some uh, technical audio difficulties, but I didn't want to edit any of it out because it was such a phenomenal conversation. So bear with us for the first 10 minutes of the show and be prepared for a truly fascinating discussion. I think you're going to love. Ryan Pineda, welcome to the show. Dude, I'm excited to be here, man. Yeah, we just got done recording your podcast. Yes. Uh, you want to give a quick plug? What's your podcast? The Go Wealthy on. Way Podcast, man. We started it, um, well, it started as the Ryan Pineda Show about two and a half years ago, and we rebranded it this year okay. to align with many of the things Better Life is about, actually. Very cool. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about that today a little bit. What, what is the wealthy way of wealth in general? Before we get all that... So I've known you for a number of years now. I know you you were you know you were the couch flipping guy that got into house flipping. Yep. You know entrepreneur. How many flips have you done at this point? Would you guess? Over five hundred, maybe six hundred. Yeah. yeah, hundreds of flips. Serial entrepreneur. Over half a dozen core businesses right now. Social media personality with uh, you know a couple million followers. Probably what are we tens of millions or hundreds of millions of views now across everything? Almost a billion. Jeez. Yeah. So that's what I know you as, and a lot of other people know you as. But I want you to take us back. Who was Ryan Pineda before all of that? Before all of that, I literally was just a guy who wanted to play baseball. Mm. That's it, dude. I mean, growing up, I had no backup plan. I had no other dreams. I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. I was like, I play baseball. I'm good at it. I love the game. And you can make a lot of money doing it. Like, let's just do this. And so, yeah, I mean, going up through high school, I was really good and got a D1 scholarship. Came an All-American and got drafted by the Oakland A's and everything was going great. And then after three years, I got released by the Oakland A's. And at 23 years old, when you get released and basically told you're not good enough and your dream's over. It's crazy, dude, because it's not like entrepreneurship or real estate where you can just like bounce back on your feet and yeah. do it again. It's like in pro sports, your timeline is what it is. Yeah. And you have a window and it closes. Yeah. And so I felt like my window had closed and I literally had no backup yeah. I was in an Uber the other day with a guy, and big guy, I mean, super big guy. He's driving his Uber around, and I was like, so what do you do? And he goes, oh, you know, I teach some kids how to swing a baseball bat once in a while. I'm like, that's cool. And he's like, yeah, I used to play uh, professional baseball. I was like, oh, really? Tell me about that. He's like, yeah, I was a, whatever, like starting something, like outfield in, like a major league baseball player, and he's driving Uber. And I'm like, well, you know, what, what happened? I'm like, wait, you know, how'd you get here? Uh, and I was like, trying to be like, like polite. Yeah, I was trying to be like polite. Like, I was like, how are you driving? Because he wasn't an old guy. He's young. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I got cut. And then, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I had like the story. It just basically had nothing after that. So, yeah, lived on a couch for like four or five years. Yeah. And then uh, I drive the Uber. That's fascinating. It's crazy. Yeah. That's that's how it is. That's how it is. Literally 99% of the pros. Yeah. How was your mentality getting out of that? I mean, were you like devastated? Or was it like, yeah, I knew this was coming? 
Well, I was extremely devastated because at the time, you know, like I said, I'm 23, about to be 24 years old. I was also engaged. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> kind of my promise to be a provider was like, yeah. hey, I'm going to grind it out yep. in the minors and make nothing. Because at the time I was making $7,000 a year as a minor league baseball player. I was like, it's kind of like syndication. You don't make a lot of money. But like, we're going for the, the big payoff down the road. Yes. I'm like, but I'm going to get to the big leagues. It's going to be great. She's like, yeah, I support you. And then I get released, right? Mm. So now I have this identity crisis of, man, am I, what am I? Because I'm not a baseball player anymore. I'm also having kind of like, <laughs> not a marriage crisis because I'm not married yet, but like a, a provider crisis. So yeah. like, wow, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, you know, obviously, my wife wasn't marrying me because I was going to get to the big leagues. But, you know, she she just was encouraging me, like, well, you should keep trying to play. And, you know, you never know. And so it was just like a tough thing, dude, like dealing with that. Because when you're so dead set and everything in your life kind of like goes the way you were planning and then it doesn't. Yeah. You're like, wow, it's crazy. Yeah. So you ended up. Flipping couches. Yeah, so <laughs> I ended up playing one more season for a semi, I, I call it semi-pro, it's still pro, but, um, you know, we call it independent baseball team. And, uh, you know, during that time, I had a lot of fun playing again, and I ended up playing actually five more seasons in mm -hmm. independent baseball while I was doing real estate. But, yeah, you know, we get married after the season in October. We're actually about to celebrate 10 years of marriage here in a couple of months. So super excited about that. And... You know, I'm sitting there looking at her apartment and, you know, she had, you know, we had, we had furnished it for like a thousand dollars from all of our wedding gifts and everything else. And I was like, man, I got some good deals on that. Like I was kind of like patting myself on the back. And then I was thinking about it. I was like, man, I bet y'all could sell this stuff for like $3,000. And then uh, all of a sudden I just, like it clicked. I was like, oh, why don't I just get like one deal a day like what if i just bought another couch or something like there was a bunch of other ones i just didn't want them yeah and then i was like why don't i try this because at the time the only way i was making money since baseball really didn't pay anything was i was substitute teaching for 90 bucks a day really yeah what, do you have a teaching license for the <laughs> <laughs> well dude I had, an, I had an economics degree that i never used mm. that's a whole another path but like when i got released by the oakland a's i was like well i'll just apply for a job and I, you know, I have an economics degree. I'm a former professional baseball player, hard worker. I applied at like 10 different places, got no interviews. And I was like, all right, getting a job's kind of hard. I'm gonna have to like figure this out on my own. So then one of my friends was telling me about substitute teaching. He's like, dude, it's super chill. You go for like six hours a day, you make a hundred bucks. You can still practice and work out and do the things you gotta do. I was like, all right, that sounds cool. Like whatever, if I just, it's 500 bucks a week, I can live off that. So that's what I was doing. Wow. Yeah. Would you ever get back into teaching? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I do on social media. It is what you do. Yeah. Maybe that's a, yeah, there's a, a foreshadowing there in your story. There, there was. Yeah. My wife was actually a public school teacher too. I didn't know. That's what she went to school for. So she did that for like three years. And she did um, the underprivileged kids in like a really rough area for three years. Yeah. So the same, by the way, the same current wife was the one you were engaged to back then. Yeah. So she's been with you the whole time. She's been with me through the entire ride or die. Like ride or die. I tell people all the time, like, you know, we never had money, yeah. you know, growing up. And nor did I have any plan to make money. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, we were kind of actually content with her teaching and making 40 grand a year. And then me just flipping couches. Yeah. Like once I figured out flipping couches, 
we were making six figures and we were rich. I was like, dude, I'm rich. And we were totally good. Yeah. How, let me jump to the end of your story real quick. Yeah. You were, you were actually rich today. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll just give the, yeah. yeah, you were actually have money. So I guess, are you happier now than you were then or the different happy? I think it's a different happy. I think um, we talked about it on my podcast. Like Paul talks about being content under mm -hmm. every circumstance. And I totally believe that. I mean, even when I was playing baseball and making $7,000 a year, I was so happy playing the game. When I was flipping couches and listening to bigger pockets, trying to figure out how to flip houses, like I was super happy doing it. And then, you know, the first flip, I was super happy. First time we got an office, I was stoked to see where we're at today and doing WealthCon tomorrow. Like I'm super stoked. So yeah, I don't, I don't think my joy has ever changed. Right. And I think that comes from faith and Jesus, but you know, obviously I'd rather be rich than not rich so, like, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. You know, it's better to have wealth than everything else. Do you think wealth, let's talk about wealth a little bit and we'll go back to your story. Does wealth, the Bible warns a lot about wealth. Yeah. Right. So, What's your current view on wealth? And obviously that's a huge piece of your brand today is the wealthy way. Yeah. So how do you reconcile wealth with biblical teachings on wealth? Yeah, you know, the Bible talks about money more than any other subject. And it's kind of crazy. Like more than salvation, more than marriage, more than helping the poor. It literally talks about money more than all of them. And I think God knew that money would have the biggest stronghold on us over everything else. It would influence our decisions far more than we could ever imagine. Yeah. And, you know, when I look at wealth, most people think it's about money. And I think it is to a degree when you're first starting out, like you're just trying to survive. You're trying to make a buck. You're trying to, you know, eventually provide for your family. And so it's about money. But then there becomes a certain point where, you know, you make money, you provide, but then you're still unfulfilled. And you're like, man, okay, I thought maybe I'll make more money. That'll do it. And then some people start doing that. No, like, Man, I made more money, more money than I thought, yet I'm still unfulfilled. Yeah. And so I started to see this in the entrepreneurial world, in the real estate world. And it's like, man, dude, all these people are unhappy. And I just told you I was happy when I was making seven grand. <laughs> you know, like, why is that? And you start to boil it down to, you know, everything. You realize that wealth is so much more than just money. You know, wealth is your health, right? I mean, if you're in bad shape, you can't move. It does not matter how much money you have. A guy who's a billionaire with cancer will happily trade places with somebody who's on the streets, right? Um, it's also about faith, right? We, we just know that if you don't have faith and you don't know where you're going, you don't know what your purpose is, you're going to live like an unpurposeful life. So, you know, there's a spiritual element. Wealth is about lifestyle, right? Like doing the things that you want to do, going on vacation, you know, having a, a schedule that you just enjoy to do. Like, you know, I see people who are like, dude, I love to sleep in. And, you know, that's my, my, my job, or not my job, but my business loves me. I'm like, that's great. Then you get people who are like, dude, I love waking up at five and just hammering out and going I'm like, that's great. You're living the lifestyle that you want. When I think about my lifestyle where I don't work weekends, I leave the office every day at five. Like that's the lifestyle. I love it. And that's exactly what I want for my lifestyle. So, you know, those all play to it. And then, you know, the last part of wealth is relationships. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, man, nobody wants to be solo and alone. God didn't create us to do any of that. And so you look at it and you're like, man, how many great relationships do I have with 
successful people with my family, my sister right there, you know, my parents, my, my spouse, my kids, like sacrificing everything, thinking that, oh, well, you know, I'm sacrificing for my kids now so I can build this thing and then, you know, they'll, they'll get it down the road. And it's like, I've yet to see that work out for anybody. And I'm not trying to miss my kids early years. Yeah. I'll sacrifice. And they're like, well, cause you're already making them. I'm like, no, like, do you think I've hit my goals of what I want? No. Like I could easily go work way more and I would have fun doing it. Yeah. But like, I also understand that I'm going to regret it. Do you get the question often from people? Cause I do. And I'm sure you do. It's like, when's enough enough, Ryan? When's enough? Like, why do you have to keep building more? Yeah. Why not just stop? It's <sighs> a good question, dude. Well, I think this is a whole different topic, but you know, when I see people talk about their financial freedom numbers and stuff and they're like, oh, I need to make this amount of money and then I'll be financially free and I'll be good. For one, once you hit it, you, you realize you're like, okay, like what's next? This isn't enough. <laughs> when you factor in inflation, you're like, okay, this is not enough. Right. But two, the thing that happens is like, just that mindset, like how selfish is it? That you're like, oh, yeah, I'm good, so I don't need to work anymore. Yeah. It's like, dude, that is like the most selfish thing mm -hmm. you could say. And it's like, dude, if, if God gave me the ability to go create businesses and create jobs and to build wealth, and I can now go give it to other people, I would be acting in disobedience doing anything otherwise. Mm. You know, I become a huge golfer. I love golf now. And I think about it a lot because I'm like, dude just like this fantasy. It won't happen. I'm like, what if I went back into pro sports and I just went hard at <laughs> golf, right? And I'm like, what if, like, I know what it takes to play pro sports. I'm not a dummy. So I'm like, what if I just practiced for eight hours a day? I gave it all up and I just pursued the dream. And I'm just like, I go back to it. I'm like, how selfish, like God gave me this position mm. and these skills and these talents, and I'm going to go pursue some selfish thing for no reason. Yeah. It's literally a hobby that I want to like make a bigger hobby. And we see people that do that all the time, right? Like, you know, it's not drugs and alcohol and sex and all these things that screw people up. Like that stuff does screw people up, but it's also the addiction to hobbies and entertainment. Like, dude, if you, if you watch Netflix for four hours a day, what are you doing with your talents? Yep. You know, you play golf with the boys, you know, whatever, like you're the retired guy who plays golf every day and that's all you do. What a waste of like living your life. Yeah. And the key is there, what you said too, or, or a big piece of this is you still have a lifestyle with your kids, with your family, with your wife. So it's not like, I think people have this idea and this comes from just limited mindset and, and maybe Hollywood movies is rich means you work a hundred hours a week and you're a jerk to your family. Yeah. So when they see a guy like you who has money or me who have money and they're like, oh, why would you abandon your family like that to go make money? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm going home for dinner in a little bit. Like I'm going yeah. to, you know, like I'm going to hang out with my wife and kids tonight at a show in Vegas. Yeah. Like, yep. so if I was doing those things and if you were doing those things, I think I have a good reason to ask you as a brother, be like, Ryan, what are you doing, man? Like you haven't talked to your kids in six weeks. Yeah. <laughs> You need to work on this. But if if you're still able to maintain that, just people can't understand that. They think if you make a million dollars a year you versus somebody who makes 100,000, you are working 10 times more hours than the person making 100,000, right? Like, but, but our work is not linear no. like that. No, not at all. Yeah, I think once you, I don't want to say I've mastered business, but you know, you reach a level where you realize like, oh man, I can put this amount of work into it and it gets outsized returns because of the systems and funnels and 
processes that we've built. And so I spend a lot of my time, like I actually work less hours now, but make more money. And it's not that like I'm lazy. It's just that like I understand like the important things I need to do. And also like, like I said, dude, I'm not against golf. I'm not against Netflix. I'm not against any of this stuff. It's just like everything needs basically balance. And so like when people start to live this unbalanced lifestyle where it's very top heavy into one thing, then it causes destruction. Another mm. thing, it just is what it is. Like, you know, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul, yep. you know, you can't just spend 16 hours a day working. Like it, you just, the hours don't come from anywhere. Like you're, you're going to take it from something else. That is very true. So what are the dangers of wealth, the financial wealth? We'll talk about that. What, what, what if people are not careful, are there downsides? I think it's addicting, right? I think making money can become an addiction like any other addiction, right? So, you know, with addiction, it just goes back to it's destroying other aspects of your life. And so if it becomes addictive to starting businesses and the thrill and you know it's going to... So like one thing I think about a recent example would be a guy like Tom Brady. And I don't know the ins and outs of his marriage or anything like that, but basically from what it looks like, you know, he had done everything in football. Yep. And... He had made some kind of deal with his family that he was done, and then he wasn't, and then he got a divorce, and then, yep. you know, it's like, when's enough enough, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and, and for him, he's like, well, I don't feel like I'm done. I want to keep playing, and yeah. if you don't support me, then you're a bad then wife, we're done. Yeah. right? But it's like, I don't know. She supported you for like 25 years. You've been in the <laughs> NFL for like 25 years now. Like, yeah. so at, at what point does it not become about you yeah, and the Bible, you know, it's clear to lead on the addiction thing. Like, there's that whole section in there about you can't serve two masters, right? Yep. God and money. It's like, take your pick. Who are you going to serve? And so when things become that addiction, then that becomes the master, right? Whether it's drugs, alcohol, sex, whatever, once you get addicted to a thing, that becomes your master, and you can't serve God and, and another master at the same time. This is the thing, right? I mean, we're both Christians, so it's easy for us to understand, but it's hard for a lot of people to understand. But, like, when you have... God directing your path. You have a higher authority, not yourself, because most people consider themselves the highest authority. And so subjectively, as a flawed human, if I feel like I should be doing this and you disagree with me, there's no higher authority to say that I am wrong or anything, right? Yeah. So like when my wife and I have a disagreement, it's never, well, sometimes it's subjective, <laughs> but <laughs> if it gets too subjective, we at least have an objective higher authority yeah. at which we can say, hey, what does God say about this? What does the Bible say about this? And it'll become very clear, you know, who's in the wrong. We might both be in the wrong. We might be acting with pride or ego and, you know, whatever, right? We both might be being selfish. So it just kind of clarifies things. Whereas other marriages, when they don't have that, and you have two subjective people who have different beliefs, that's why there's a lot of drama. But I actually, I forgot what, what yeah. the leading question was to that. I, I think... Yeah, I don't remember. What was the question? Remember? <laughs> I don't remember. It was basically... Start with God and money. Yeah, yeah. Oh, guess, yeah, oh yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's what I was going to say. So like with, you know, not serving two masters, if I am having a problem with, man, should I spend some extra... Because you can make an argument for anything you want, sure. yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's like, I and I have made this argument. I'm like, babe, she's like, you know, you seem like you're working a lot. You're on these calls at the house. You're not at, you're not present with the kids. You're on your phone. And I'm like, well, babe you know, we're starting this new thing. It's going to help a lot of people. And like, I got to do this for everyone. And so like on sometimes she's like, all right, you know, as long as it's not like a 
ongoing thing that's going to just be like a new habit, right? If it's a season, you know, the business is struggling, we got to, you know, bear down. She understands that. But the moment things become like habitual yeah. becomes the problem. And so like, I have to lean on God for discernment of, man, I got to check my heart. Like, am I really doing this for the right reasons? You know, am I spending enough time with my kids and my wife? But am I also still serving beyond just my, because like, there's the other side too, where it's like, hey, I'm not helping anyone else because I'm just only with my family. That's also not good. It's tough. Yeah. It's a tough balance to try to figure out where, where to land on that. It's one thing I'm always concerned and I'm always analyzing is where am I right now with the ambition to build wealth and businesses? Yep. And then am I being a good husband and father? And it's hard to be good at both of those. Very hard. Yeah. So like trying to balance. And I think the answer, uh, the book, The One Thing from uh, Gary Keller and Jay Papazan, there's a great quote in there that I'll probably butcher here, but he basically says, there is no such thing, no such thing as work-life balance, it's work-life balancing. It's a verb. So as long as we're constantly rebalancing, rebalancing all yeah. the time, like you're walking on a tightrope and you're left to right, like you're always balancing, you're okay. Yeah. So I think it's when you stop asking these questions. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Cause like. I'll tell you at the end of 2022, right? We all went into turmoil mm -hmm. in real estate. So my balance went way over in the scale of like, okay, I got to work and like yeah, yeah. get some crap done. And I'm like, babe, this just is what it is. Yeah, the enemies are at the gate. I got to go. And she's yeah. like, I get it, right? And then there are times where I've been like, we just kill it. And I'm like, all right, I'm going into vacation mode. I'm chilling and, you know, whatever, right? And then like, the business side, I'd be like, hey, bro, like, you're kind of neglecting yeah. us. Like, we need you to get back to center. And so, yeah, it's it's always this thing. Yeah. Let's shift a little bit and talk about still on the wealth topic and financial wealth. And this is something, again, I struggle with very much. Is How do you decide to spend money on something like a new house? Like, you're buying yep. a new house right now, right? And I just bought, I have two houses, right? Yep. I got nice cars. I got nice stuff. How do you decide? Except nice watch. Except not just the average watch. <laughs> just, just an Apple watch. You know how much I... Do you know, actually, true story. I'm going to get back to the question. Do you know why I bought this? Why? Because it has, a G, it has a cellular built into it. So I don't have to take my phone. It was a it was a how to be a better husband, father goal for me. So I can uh, leave my phone at home and not take it in the house. And I have to communicate entirely off of this a lot of the times. Now, I'm not great so at it. So a lot of times you'll just ignore it. You're like, this yeah. ain't worth it. Yeah. I'm like, oh, if I got a text again, it got my words wrong. I'm like, I'll deal with it another time. Yeah. And so that's actually was designed to take me away from screen time. Now, has it worked on and off? Like, <laughs> you I'll just go, yeah, screen now, time. now I just do two things. And we're always walking around talking to my wrist. Anyway, <laughs> that was a goal of mine I said a couple of years ago was how can I be off my screen time yeah. entirely? And so anyway, going back to the original question. So there's cool things that we buy. And then we, like we talked about on your show earlier, if I can save someone's life for $1,000 mm -hmm. in Africa who's dying of starvation, and I yeah. know $1,000 will save a child. How do we as Christians... We can't obviously donate 100 percent of our money and give it away. And then there's an image that sounds weird, but an image to keep up. There's like we're on social media. Yeah, yeah. It has stuff. so how do you balance all those things in terms of giving, in terms of charity, in terms of luxury and enjoyment? Yeah, great question. So there's so many thoughts with this, but I think the quick answer is what I just said earlier about like when you have God helping give you discernment. Mm -hmm. It basically, that just becomes part of it, right? Should I be living in this kind of house? Should I have this kind of car, right? And so it's going to be different for everyone, right? And like people on social media could look at lifestyle and be like, oh, well, dude, this guy spent, we were talking my show, 50K a month, yeah. 80K a <laughs> yeah. month, right? Yep. But what if you make a million dollars a month? Yeah. You know, you're spending 5% of your income. Is that 
better than the person who spends 80, 90% of their income. Cause that's what normal Americans do. They, yeah. they live off of 80 if they're lucky. Yeah. Right. You know, when you start looking at it from what the Bible says, like too, with the tithe, it's like the tithe is a percentage based thing. It has no hard, absolute numbers. Just yeah. 10% is 10%. So I think, you know, how much you spend definitely is correlated with that number yeah. on how much you're making. You know, if you're making $10 million a month, it doesn't matter, yeah. right? I, I'm not there yet, but yeah. I, <laughs> if, <laughs> we'll I if I start getting cool stuff because like I'm making such crazy money, yeah. it's not that I'm just only buying cool stuff. Now, I think the problem becomes if you're a Christian that you're making all this money, but you're just spending it all. Yeah. That's a problem yeah. for sure. So I think the percentage of your income that you live off of is something that you should strive to lower as you build more wealth. Now you can do that by either keeping your living expenses the same and increasing your income yep. or, you know, you cut cost and whatever, right? You can go the Dave Ramsey approach, whatever your case is. So, you know, for me, I look at that as one thing. The other thing is to your point, man, I mean, to me, it's like lifestyle is marketing, you know, yeah. you're marketing your lifestyle and everything else. And so if I'm doing cool stuff, it's like, yeah, it costs money, but will it actually bring in money and, yeah. and attract people who want that kind of lifestyle? The answer is probably yes. You know, if I were to tell you, you know, I got 50 million views just from my watch videos, you know, the watches cost a hundred grand. I made more than a hundred grand off 50 million views. Yeah. So like, should I buy more watches? (laughs) Marketing wise? Yeah, Yeah. I should. I don't because like, I'm good. Like I never bought watches for the marketing purpose. I bought them because I wanted them. Yep. But like marketing wise, I really should buy more watches. That's funny. Is that what your yeah. most popular videos are? They watch mm-hmm. ones? Really? Yeah, dude. I mean, I've gotten literally like 50 million views from watches. <laughs> it's crazy. That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, do, those go up in value generally too, right? I mean, those are investments or not right at yeah, all. They are too. And yeah. I'm not even, ju- even if it went to zero yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like I got 50 million views for a hundred yeah, yeah, grand, for sure. I'd be like, yeah, that was good. That definitely made me more than hundred grand. Yeah. But yeah, like I could go sell this today for at least what I bought it for. Yeah. So it is like a store of value. Yeah, that's, I'm a big fan of like spending money on things. Like that's why I have two houses. Like I don't feel guilty or bad about having two it's multi-million dollar houses. Yeah, because I will sell it almost guaranteed for more than I bought it for because I yeah. have really good debt. I'm not worried about it. I can hold it forever. I can rent it if I have to. It yeah. will be worth more. And someday all my money goes to a combination of kids and charity, mostly yeah. charity. Well, I'll tell okay. you one thing too. Like, so we were talking about new houses I mentioned on mine, like my mortgage is 20 grand, yeah. which I would have never in a million years thought I would have a $20,000 <laughs> mortgage. I remember our first mortgage was like 1200. Yep. I was like, dude, I don't know if we can, this is a lot of money. Uh-huh. And then, you know, our mortgage became, you know, like 2000 and then it was 4,000. And then now we just jumped to 20. I'm just like, whatever, that is what it is. You, you want a $3 million loan? Cost you $20,000 a month. Yep. But like, I think about it and I think about, you know, we've been living there now for four months, all the parties we've had, you know, bringing people over. And like one thing my wife talks about too, and she, she and I both grew up very frugal is like, man, if we can provide experience for for people that like, they just never otherwise would have gotten, man, like what a blessing we can be to other people. And so whether it's vacations, whether it's doing the cool dinners, whether it's house parties, whether it's, you know, like my daughter, literally she's three years old. She's had the most ridiculous birthday parties in the entire world. I've seen pictures. Yeah. They're ridiculous. (laughs) Like I look at them and I'm like, 
she has a sweet 16 every year. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> it might be the scene from, was, was it uh, the movie uh, with uh, Will Ferrell? Was that old school? Where Vince Vaughn has, like, the big birthday party with, like, the pony rides. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. It's like, that. that's your style. That, that's for sure party. what we do. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. My son had a circus. It was nuts. And so, like, these parties are, like, five-figure parties for two-year-olds who don't remember. And I'm like, babe. <laughs> like you remember. <laughs> but my wife, obviously, she remembers and yep. for memories. But she's like, look. Look how many kids are here, like, never have yeah, experienced yeah. anything like this. And I'm like, it's true. You know, it's not really about us well maybe it's about my wife i'm just here like funding it yeah that's fine where'd you meet your wife on a canoeing trip no way yeah super random <laughs> um <laughs> we uh so i got drafted by the oakland ace i went to a school called cal state northridge and i came back to vegas to live here because i'm like i'm not gonna live in la it's where northridge is i took a year off because i was training and wanted to really hone in on my professional baseball career but after year one I was like, you know what? I might as well go back to school. I only got a semester. Let me go see if they'll let me go to UNLV for one semester. So I got them to approve my classes. It took like six, I needed 16 credits. And so I basically needed one elective, you know, five classes, one elective. So I started looking and I'm like, wonder what the easiest elective is. And there was one for rock climbing. I was like, oh, this will be tight. So I signed up for rock climbing. A week before the school starts, they go, hey, we didn't have enough signups for rock climbing. This, it's canceled. I was like, dang, so what am I going to sign up for? And I start looking down the list and they're like, well, we got like a couple spots left for this canoeing trip. And I was like, <laughs> okay, so what do we do? And they're like, you canoe to the Hoover Dam, you camp out for two nights and you get a credit after a weekend. I was like, I don't have to go for a weekend to get That's a credit? Cool. Tight. So I sign up for it. There's like eight of us and you know, I see this cute girl on orientation, I'm like, this canoeing trip's going to be tight. <laughs> like, I'm glad I signed up for this. This is cool. So, you know, we, we ended up doing the canoeing trip and it was great. And actually it wasn't great. <laughs> I was just being a cocky, like 22 year old who was professional baseball player thinking I was the man. And she got super turned off by it because she was like, this guy's cute, but he's an, like, he's just a jerk. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> So um, also during that trip, I ended up saving her life. She disputes this, but the canoe- <laughs> But you're right. But it did happen. She's still here. So the canoe <laughs> flipped during the river. Her canoe, like, I don't know how she flipped it. She flipped it. And like, dude, the river is strong. Like, it's super strong. And so she was like floating away. Her canoe's gone. All our other canoes were already like docked. And we were the only ones left. I was like, oh, crap. So I'm canoeing freaking- me and my partner are canoeing, then we grab her and her partner, and then like we get him to shore. So that's like the story. That's the the uneventful story of how I saved her life. But you're I did. A, you're a hero, man. I am. You're a hero. Thank you. Thank you. So, anyways, even after saving her life, she didn't want anything to do with me. And I ended up messaging her like a month later on Facebook. And I was like, hey, we should like go hang out. It's your birthday's coming up. Like I saw it was her birthday. And so we went on our first date on her birthday to lunch at Olive Garden. Mm, it was classy. it was fancy. You know, it was good. But to tie up that story, the reason I talked about the rock climbing was, you know, after we got together, she told me that she's like, yeah, it's crazy because we almost would have never met. And I go, why? She goes, because I signed up for a class that got canceled. I go, what'd you sign up for? She's like, rock climbing. Oh, funny. I was like, whoa. I guess we're going to get married. That just is what it is. Okay, I got a quick I got a quick Olive Garden story about my wife real quick. I love Olive Garden. Uh, yeah, Olive Garden is great. But I did not always like Olive Garden. So <laughs> early on, 
I thought, because I was raised very like lower middle class. Like the only restaurant we could ever afford was McDonald's. That was it. Really? So Olive Garden was the nicest restaurant I'd ever heard of. Like it was <laughs> the five-star restaurant of the world. And I would never go there because I hated rich people. I hated rich people. I hated popular <laughs> kids in school. And I hated the rich kids. And so I went to college and my wife and a bunch of friends were like, well, I had just met her. But they're like, let's all go to Olive Garden. And I was like, I don't eat at Olive Garden. I, like, I, I won't eat there. And it was like against my principle to eat at such a fine five-star establishment. establishment. Yep. And so I went and I refused. I held a protest and I ate the breadsticks for free. And that was it. I sat there and ate breadsticks and I refused to get any food because I would not eat at such a nice place. And I was ticked at Heather that she would eat at such a fancy restaurant. I was like, she is a snobby rich kid yeah. from, you know, Seattle. And Stupid I almost, Seattle it kids. totally turned me off. Yeah. Snobby rich kids. Now, now I realize. I mean, now, first of all, it's Olive Garden. <laughs> and two, she's like a farmer's daughter. Like they were not wealthy in yeah. any way. And she was just smarter she, than me. She just knew Olive Garden. She knew was Olive like, Garden was not yeah. the Kiaviador well, experience. What's funny, <laughs> the Kiaviador <laughs> You know what's funny is my wife actually rejected me on the first attempt. Mm, yeah. So I, I DM'd Mine her too. on Facebook. Oh, go, nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I DM'd her on Facebook and I was like, hey, you know, your birthday's coming up. I'd love to take you out for your birthday. And she's like, I think she just basically said no. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. I left like the Facebook messages are still there. Mm-hmm. I gotta look. But she basically said no. And I was like, well, all right, that settles that. I guess that ship has sailed. And then like two days later, she DMs me back and she's like, you know what? If you still want to go, like I'll I'll do it. Mm. And then now I tell the story at all of our events. I'm like, she came crawling back. Like, that's just how it went. <laughs> that's how I saw it, too. That was, great. That's how- <laughs> uh, that was great, man. All right, question. What do you love about your wife? Oh, man, dude, this is definitely like a podcast about, you know, better <laughs> life. It's not, it's not business. I will say, I mean, there's so many things, and I'm not stalling. I'm just trying to prioritize <laughs> all of the amazing things I want to say, because I don't have enough time, obviously. (laughs) So the first is, (laughs) keep this on a clip. The first would be, I'll actually go in like timeline sequence of what attracted me throughout the 10 years of marriage, Mm. right? So when we first started dating, obviously looks, right? That's number one when you're first, you know, looking for a mate. But the first thing that really attracted me was her confidence. She was super confident about who she was, what she was doing, the way she talked. You know, she wasn't one of these girls that needed to be like told every day, like, oh, you're so pretty. Like, and then if you don't, like they're insecure. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have to worry about any insecurity. With, she was great on that front. So that was like the number one thing starting out. After we got married, I mean, obviously too, with that, her love of Jesus. Mm. So I always knew like I was never going to date a girl that wasn't Christian. So like, you know, she had that. So then we get married and, you know, obviously we're super young married couple. She had just turned 21 and, you know, we're figuring everything out. But, you know, the next thing that really stuck out to me was like, she just believed in me, whatever. I was like, Hey babe, I want to flip couches. She's like, okay. You know, I'm like, Hey, I want to, I'm going to keep playing minor league baseball for no money. She's like, all right, cool. I'm like, hey, I'm going to max out our credit cards and flip a house. She's like, I'm down. <laughs> Let's go. You know, like, so she's always supported any crazy thing I've ever wanted to do. I've never been told no, right, on just, like, these ideas. She's never discouraged me or been like, are you sure you want to do that? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, have you thought about this? Because I do see a lot of wives do that. They're like, 
you know, a lot of stuff gets stopped because they just don't believe in them or yeah. they're scared or whatever, right? So I'm super grateful that she's always supported what I wanted to do. And along with support too, just like the trust and respect. So it's like, obviously she supported me, but she also trusted that it was a good decision. She respected me. And even when things, you know, didn't go right, there was never like, I told you this wouldn't work. Why'd you do that? You lost money. It was never about that. So, you know, that all kind of plays together. As we got older and as we had kids and everything else, the, the next thing that really like started to stick out to me was like, man, dude, she is so good at serving. You know, like she has that whole servant heart to serve me, the kids, you know, she gave up her career, you know, whatever the family needed, she was willing to to do, right? So, you know, servant, everything. And then today, you know, as we celebrate 10 years of marriage, we both have grown as people, you know, we both have changed a lot. It's weird expecting our third here in like a month. Oh, wow. Yep. So... You know, we're going to have a a family of three now, and I think that she has become very, like, entrepreneurial and, like, leader, and, you know, maybe it's just from all the years. Before, she was never like that, right? And so now she's like, yeah, I want to help with Wealthy Kingdom. Like, you know, I want to lead the women. You know, I want to do all these different things. And I'm not telling her to do it, you know? It's like, it's now becoming the next stage of who she's becoming. So we've had a lot, but... Hopefully that doesn't yeah. give me the doghouse. That's great, man. Yeah. I love it. Also, what about your kids? If you don't mind talking about them, like yeah. what do you love about your kids? Each of them. Man, kids, dude, are a handful. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Bro. So let me tell you this. Okay. I love being a dad and I never realized so many things about my dad until I've been a dad. Right. And you don't realize like how much of an impact like your dad has on your life. You know, especially as a man. Mm. And I remember my dad used to always tell me this story about him growing up. He had 12 brothers and sisters. And so he grew up in the Philippines and his dad, he saw him once a year at the beginning of school. His dad was like some big entrepreneur in the Philippines. He was making a ton of money, lost it all. And, you know, whatever, all his kids left him, moved to Las Vegas. And, you know, he ended up moving to Vegas too and reconciling as time went on. But I just remember my dad telling me, like, dude, I saw my dad literally once a year. And it was at the start of school. He would take him to go buy new clothes and shoes and stuff. And, like, that was it. And so, like, the housekeepers and stuff raised him. And he would tell me, he was like, Ryan, I never, like, want that to happen to you. Like, I'm going to be here for you with everything. And so he did exactly that. I mean, he figured out how to provide took me to every baseball practice, got me every coach I needed, supported me on everything I ever wanted to do. And even to this day, he actually worked for me as a project manager. That's cool. And he doesn't have to, like, you know, we take care of them. Like we bought him a house and cars and everything Mm -hmm. they need. They could, but he just wants to support some way, somehow. So when I think about the wealthy way, I did not realize like the influence my dad had on it because he was the perfect example of a child neglected by their dad. And, you know, he broke the the chains and changed that with me. And so when I had kids, you know, I knew like I was going to not be like what I saw other entrepreneurs doing, but I also had such a rough experience with my son, James. So, you know, to, to go a little deep in the story, 2019, 
my son was born in January, two months premature. Mm. And, you know, it was crazy because my wife just, she started feeling pain. She's like, I think I need to go to the doctor. We didn't think she was like going into labor or anything. We were just like, all right, we go in the doctor. He's like, dude, you know, she's having contractions. He's at this dilation. I honestly didn't even know what that meant. I was just like, okay, so like, when do we get to go home? Like, what's the deal? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, she's staying here, bud. And I'm like, okay, so how's the baby? Like the baby's going to be coming, but we're going to try and slow it down. And I was like, the baby's coming. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, I mean, the baby's not supposed to come for like two and a half more months. Like, is it going to be okay? We didn't know the gender or anything. He's like, I can't say. Like, I don't know. I was like, wow. Okay. So baby gets born, James, you know, like five hours later. It was crazy. I was like, it was like literally the craziest day of my life because we were just chilling. <laughs> and then, and then yeah. I had a kid five hours later. I was like, <laughs> what the heck just, dude, I was, we had no room set up. We had nothing. Like I had these books too. Like I was planning to read. I was yeah. like, yeah, I'm going to read these dad books and stuff, dude. And he was just born. And so he couldn't breathe. He couldn't eat. He couldn't do anything. And so he was in the NICU for two months. And so every day for two months, I had to go to the NICU in the morning, go to the NICU at night. He wasn't making any progress. It was just like this crazy thing. And they told us, they were like, he's going to have developmental delays. He's going to have, you know, potentially other issues. And I was like, all right. So anyways, after two months, we get to take him home. We're super scared because he couldn't breathe. And so I'm like, what if he stops breathing like while we're sleeping? Like, this is crazy. I don't like, I don't even think he's good enough to come home. Like I'm kind of scared bringing him home. You know, sure enough, God was watching over him, but you know, we bring him home and you know, he has to go through all these therapies because he's so delayed and still having lots of issues and you know, cutest, sweetest little boy, everything. Well, towards the end of the year, actually like a week before Christmas, he falls and hits his head and he gets this big bump. And we're like, well, that doesn't look good. Let's take him to the hospital. So we take him to the hospital. They tell us like, hey, you know, he's acting normal, right? And I'm like, yeah, but he's got this fat bump. Like that doesn't look good. And they're like, yeah, just monitor it. He should be okay. I'm like, all right. Well, a couple of days later, I'm like, dude, he's not all right. Like he's, the bump's not going down. Let's take him to a different hospital. So we go to a different hospital. They're like, yeah, let's get him in for an x-ray right now. Like they should have gave him an x-ray when we did that. So they go there and they're like, dude, He's cracked his skull, his mm. brain is bleeding, and we have to go in emergency surgery right now. I was like, okay. Like, so he's going to have brain surgery, and that's what's going to happen. I was like, okay, well, once again, it's like deja vu. I was like, like, what's the odds of survival? Like, this is as serious as it gets. And like, we can't say. So, you know, it was at night. <laughs> You know, we're praying, they bring in this this brain surgeon from somewhere and you know, they have the surgery and we're just praying all night and you know, they tell us it was successful and you know all that stuff and literally he was just like super happy, <laughs> like nothing had ever happened. And then, you know, they actually released him on Christmas. And so we got to bring him home for Christmas. Also during that time, my wife was pregnant. Mm. <laughs> and so Dude, let me just, like, kids have been a world... That was my first year as a parent. Yeah. And so to go through everything that I had to go through that year, plus 
like I said, so many things for the wealthy way came from that year because I started to take Wednesdays off and I called them work from home Wednesdays so I could support her and, you know, help with the kids and well, one kid at the time. And then, you know, it's just like 2019 was hell. And, you know, we go into 2020 and then COVID hits and I had like 50 flips and like <laughs> all this stuff and my wife's pregnant. I'm just like, man, dude, this is whatever. We're going to see how it goes. So yeah, you know, kids have been a crazy thing. Uh, my daughter ended up being born during COVID and she was actually a month premature, which was still like, we're like, well, that's better than two. Better. <laughs> and we're like, I guess we're going to be in the NICU for another month. But thankfully, I guess girls develop faster. Mm. So she didn't have to spend any time in the NICU. And so like our prayer for this third baby has been like, just stay in, like, do not come out. Yeah. And so, you know, we're two months, uh, yeah, well, actually month and a half away. So like, we're doing good. We're yeah, like super we're hyped. <laughs> but, you know, my son now, he's four and a half years old now. You know, he definitely has special needs and development delays. And so he's still in therapies. We're constantly like trying things and looking for answers. You know, we've done stem cells with him. We've done other things. But I mean, despite all that, the happiest kid ever just loves to be outside and hang out. You know, it's amazing. But raising him is like raising four kids yeah. in one. And uh, so <laughs> we're like, another kid's nothing, you yeah. know? And then my daughter, completely normal, and she's actually very advanced, and she's just a lunatic. And she's like me in very many ways. And so she's amazing. So yeah, dude, I've had a very crazy experience with kids in a short amount of time. And like I said, I think that's what has influenced the wealthy way so much is because like, I know what it's like to almost lose a kid twice. Mm. And once you've like gone through it mentally, where you're like, wow, he could be gone. You experienced it to the, the closest at which you could experience it. And it changes your mindset because once he, he was back, I was like, oh dude, I'm not missing any more moments. Like yeah. work is just not worth it. It's not. And so how has being a parent changed, if it has, your relationship with God? I think the big thing with kids that's changed is up until this point, I've had a decision on everything I've done. I got to decide who I married. I got to decide if I want to start a business, if I want to hire somebody, fire somebody, whatever, right? With kids, you kind of get to decide. But you know, once you have the kid, you don't know how they're going to be. Yeah. You don't know how they're going to turn out. You don't know what choices they're going to make. That's complete. Like, obviously I can do my very best to love them and create a great environment, but they're still going to do what they want to do. And that's kind of like the crazy, scary thing where you're like, wow, this is completely out of my control, but like, this is my kid yeah. <laughs> no matter what. And there's nothing that will ever change that. And so I have to, you know, do the very best to make them like a model citizen, <laughs> You know, so that's a weird thing of like, man, dude, I'm like, I don't really have control on this, but I'll say like, it's also made me think a lot about, you know, God and Jesus being his son. And, you know, you think about the sacrifice Jesus made for us and, and God planned all that, allowed it to happen. I'm like, man, dude, the fact that he was willing to do that for us is crazy. Cause mm. like, could I do that with one of my kids? Probably not. Like, yeah. you know, it's crazy. So I think it puts more things in perspective of like, you know, God, the father, and I'm a father now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like as, as a dad, once I became a dad, I feel like I could understand just a little bit more of what God 
feels like, you know, when, when we talk about like, how can God like love everyone? Like, yeah. well, I love all my kids. Like I love my kids, even when they're terrible people. <laughs> like yesterday, Wilder was a terrible human. In every way you can be a terrible human, he was a terrible human. If he had a gun, he would have shot somebody. Just like, he would have he just, he was murderous. And I'm like, but I still love him with everything yeah. in here, right? And I'm like, oh, that makes a lot more sense now. Yeah. Or little things like, you know, when I was younger, I used to like beg God for answers to things like, what college do I go to? Yeah. Or what career do I get? And then now I'm like, well, if Rosie was like, dad, what yogurt do I eat from the fridge? I'd be like, I don't care. Yeah. What one do you want to eat? Like, like all of a sudden I realized like, oh wait, what if God just wants us sometimes to do what, you know, what we want? Yeah. Like in a large way. Like, yeah, do yeah. I go to this vacation spot or this one? What if he's like, well, what do you want to do? He's like, well, yeah, what, like, whatever. Yeah. I think the Jonah situations are a lot more rare of like, God's like, no, you will go to this college yeah. and you will take this class because I have a plan for you. I think that's probably pretty rare. And I think being a father has taught me that. Mm. That's my No, I love that perspective. Yeah. I haven't thought about it like that, but t- I have thought about it like this kid has got me to like the end. <laughs> but yeah, I still love him. Like yeah. there's nothing I can do. Yeah. And nothing he does will change that. Yeah. And versus people in this office or wherever, if they piss me off, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's Bye. like, hey, I don't have to continue to mm. have you here. Like you're out. <laughs> mm. All right. Before we you know begin to start wrapping up, I want to ask you some advice questions for people listening to help them out. Okay. Uh, as somebody who's built multiple businesses yep. and, and you have the wealth that most people want, mm-hmm. uh, and we're talking again, financial wealth here, like they want to own a business, cash flow, whatever that thing is. What is your advice to somebody who's maybe in your shoes you know, 10 years ago, maybe they may not pro baseball player, but <laughs> yeah, they, they're broke. Yeah. That was broke. What do they do? Man, I think, so the tools that we had 10 years ago were very different than today. Sure. So it's like, dude, literally 10 years ago, it's like bigger pockets podcast was out there. That's kind of it. <laughs> like I didn't, there was no YouTube videos of yeah. me telling people how to flip couches or yeah, yeah. do this or do that. And so I just kind of fell into real estate because it was the only thing I could figure out that could make money. It's not like I loved real estate by any means. I was just like, oh yeah, I can make money doing this. Cool. So to that end, I mean, I know a lot more now and resources are way more available today. So I don't think anybody in the United States has an excuse for being broke. Mm. I don't really care where you're from, where you're starting at, what your situation is. Yeah, we all have different situations starting out. We all have different unique talents and abilities but at the end of the day, like this is the time to be alive where anyone can do anything. I mean, you didn't grow up, you know, in some oppressive country that doesn't allow you to do anything. You didn't grow up 500 years ago where, you know, you're a slave. You know, it's like, dude, we all have the opportunity to do something yeah. in America, at least. So to that end, I would pick something that, you know, number one, you are passionate about. And you think could be a good fit for you. So whether that's real estate, whether that's being a content creator, whether that's being a salesperson, whether that, like there's so many ways to make freaking money, right? But like, if you're trying to get rich, you know, the only way to get rich is to figure out how to make big chunks of money. Mm -hmm. So like, if you're going to go work at a W2 that makes 50K a year, there's nothing wrong with that if you want that to be like your steady income, but you're going to have to figure out something else on top of that that's going to make money right? So what I always tell people is like, we have a framework called make, manage, multiply. And so what we teach at Wealthy Investor is like during the make stage, what you have to do is make 250K in one thing. 
All right. Because too many people are like, oh, well, should I get an Airbnb? Should yeah. I just wholesale? Should I flip? Should I do some storage? And I'm like, so what have you done again? Well, just pick one, right? To me, flipping and wholesaling are the easiest ones to get to 250. It's not rentals. It's not commercial. Like yep. anyone can get started flipping and wholesaling right now. And anyone can make 250 by yourself yep. right now. You don't need an employee. You don't need, you know, an office. You don't need anything. Just go out and hustle and get deals. So make is 250. The second stage is manage. Okay. So this is when you go from guy with a skill that's high paying to now business owner. Now I need to manage people and take this skill and teach it to my employees and have them do it for me. And so during the managed stage, I don't believe you've crossed that stage until you get to a million bucks. Okay. So until then, let's just say you pick flipping houses. Cool. You did it on your own. You made 250. Now we're trying to go build a seven figure business. We're going to go hire a sales guy, a marketing guy, you know, whatever, right? Cool. You learn a whole new skill set because now you still know how to run your ARVs. You still know how to like hire contractors and raise money, but you don't know how to hire people or manage them or keep them accountable or do KPIs. You don't know any of the organizational things that you wouldn't learn until you reach this stage, nor is it relevant in the make stage. Your KPIs don't matter yeah. when you're just hustling. So, <laughs> and too many people get caught up on that. Like, well, freaking what about my LLC? And should I get this spreadsheet? I'm like, bro, yeah. get a deal. Yeah. I don't care. So then you go to the managed stage, you make a million bucks. Now you go to the multiply stage and the multiply stage is where, you know, if make is when you turn into like, you know, a hustler guy who's making money, manages a business owner, then a multiply is investor. This is when you now have a business that's spitting off cash. And so how do you multiply the cash? Well, there's multiple things you could do. You could reinvest back into the business and double down and turn into a multi seven figure business. Option two is you know, you keep the business running and growing, you know, organically, you don't throw fire on it and you start using that capital to buy real estate or whatever, right? Start investing it into whatever your investment vehicle is. Cause the way that I'm using real estate right now in this example is not an investment. It's a job. It's just making you money, sure. right? So now you start buying rentals and this is why I always tell our students, I'm like, guys, do not buy a rental. If you are broke, mm. what's the point? You're not, it's not going to change your life. Flip or wholesale it. That's going to change your life. $20,000 in your pocket is life-changing. Owning one rental that breaks even is not life-changing. <laughs> You're not, it's, it's nothing. So people used to always ask me that too. They're like, bro, why are you keeping some of these flips when I was first starting out? I flipped probably 60 homes before I bought a rental. And I was like, because I want the 20, 30K and I want to buy another flip that makes me 20, 30K. And if I do that three times over each year, that's 90K. No rentals paying me 90K, you know? But if I can build this company up, I'll buy rentals way down the road. Like this is a long game, you know? So if I can build this business the right way, rentals will be easy. So anyways, you get to the multiply stage, you can start buying rentals, you can reinvest in the business or, you know, like most shiny object entrepreneurs, you can start a new business. You know, at that point, you've successfully built a seven figure business. You've now earned the right to try and use those same skills in a different product. Most people, once again, they're in the make stage. They're like, I want a rental. I want a second business. I want to do like, and I'm like, that's why you don't get anywhere. That's why, yeah. So, so when do you double down and build the other businesses? Because you have, you have a lot. I have a lot. Yeah. So like, are we just the exception? Well, I think, man, there's so many schools of thought here. So like a guy like, 
you know, whatever, Hormozy, he's been on my podcast and spoken at the events too. And he's talked about it a lot of like, just do one thing for like 10 years and just don't do anything else. Right. And it's true. If I only focused on flipping and I did nothing else, my flipping business would be bigger than it currently is. But as an entrepreneur, you also start to realize there are ceilings to the scale at which you can reach. Like there's only so big you can make a house flipping business. Yeah. Like, you know, I did a hundred a year for like five, six years straight. Do I want to do a thousand? No, I'm not doing a thousand <laughs> flips. Like it sounds terrible. Nor is it like very scalable, right? Like, I mean, we saw what happened with Zillow and Open Door. Like when you try to scale yeah. a house flipping business, it's like, you it just breaks. It was never meant to do that. But when you try to scale tech, it's very seamless. Yeah. It's like you build the tech once, every customer you add literally adds no new complexity. Yep. It's just recurring. And so I started to understand that and I was like, wow, okay, there's different levels to scale in different industries. And so it's like content, massive scale, you know, education, massive scale, tech, massive scale. Real estate has scale in syndication and other stuff, but not flips and wholesales. And so it doesn't mean flipping and wholesaling is bad. It just means like back when I was couch flipping, there was a cap to what flipping couches could do. It was like, I could make a hundred, maybe 200, but that's it. Flipping houses, maybe I could make, you know, 10 to 20 million in gross revenue if I really went all in on it. But like, that is the cap, right? In education, I mean, Tony Robbins and Cardone, these guys make a hundred million dollars plus a year in education. Okay. So, I mean, that cap's bigger than flipping. What do the tech guys make? I mean, they make billions. <laughs> so, you know, you start to notice that each industry has a cap. And so as an entrepreneur, you have a choice. You can continue in your niche, which, you know, if you're in a lower tiered niche that has a lower cap, you you will inevitably, if you're good, hit the cap. But could you be building towards something that's much more scalable? And you have to decide that, you know? I would say, this is my advice, if you're just starting out, right, and you don't have all the things you want in life yet, you're better off doing one thing. And that's what I did. I just scaled my house flipping company, built it to seven figures, the multiple seven figures, and I only focused on that. Then once I was like good, I was like, all right, I'm going to go devote my time to social media. This mm-hmm. is the next big thing. And so I actually like made less money flipping houses because now you just took the main cog out of it. Yep who's now going to go spend his time over here, which is not going to make anything (laughs) starting out. You know, when you have no YouTube subscribers, it's hard to make money. But if you believe in it and you believe in the scale and what it's going to become, then you know it's a far better choice five years from now. This is what I did. But What about somebody who's right now listening to this? Again, maybe they're young and broke. Or maybe they're old and broke. And they're saying- (laughs) So they're broke. (laughs) Yeah, they're broke. Do they go flip houses, start a business, social media star? If you had to pick one of those three. I flip houses. Would you? Why? Yeah. Um, I think anyone can flip houses. I meet the dumbest people in the world who are <laughs> successful. Flipping. Seriously, like, I'm just like, man, dude, this guy makes a couple hundred thousand a year. Like, yeah. anyone can do it. It is a fairly complex free, like, not completely free, but limited complex. Well, the thing business. with house flipping, too, is, like, it doesn't change. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the market changed a little bit. and But, like, dude, I mean... Analyzing a deal is the same as it was 10 years ago when I started to what it is today. Nothing has changed. So you don't have to worry about like learning this new skill set. And you know it's going to be around forever. Real estate will be there forever. The problem with social media is like, one, it's harder. It is harder to stand out on social media than it is to become a house flipper. Two, it changes nonstop. 
It's like freaking threads came out two days ago. I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, another thing. Like, what am I doing now? (laughs) And I'm like, I'm the social media guru. I have to freaking figure this out for everyone. You know, like, it's so funny, dude. Within 12 hours, I just posted my first thread and people are like, Ryan, what are you and your team doing to capitalize on threads? What's the plan? What, (laughs) What are you guys talking about behind the scenes? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I have no data. It's just, yeah. just, just started 12 hours ago. Yeah. What do you mean? What's the plan? <laughs> you're, you're in charge, man. You got to tell us what to do. Yeah. I'm like, oh. the plan is I'm going to like make some, I don't even know what they call them, threads. Yeah. I don't know either. And Post, thread. whatever. Know. I'll see how they go. Yeah. So, but no, like. Which so, is refreshing to hear that yeah. you don't have it all figured out. Heck no, dude. <laughs> I It's literally all testing all the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. Like we'll have good, great months of social media and get freaking a hundred million views. And I'll be like, the next month it gets 10 million views. And you're like, what happened? Why did this month suck? Yeah. It's just like, it's so random. Yeah. So social media is hard that way. And also too, social media is not guaranteed to monetize. It's only as monetizable as you are as an entrepreneur. Yes. So, you know, for these people who have no entrepreneurial skills, even if you do build a following, you're still probably not making money because you don't know what to do. Yeah. It's always blows my mind about like TikTok, a lot of TikTok creators where they're like, they're really clever people and they have really clever things they do, Right. And you're like, oh, that's so funny. And then you're like, wait, how are you making any money? And they're not. They're, <laughs> they're not. Just, it's just a hobby for them that they spend their full-time life doing. Well, they just have never, like, getting attention is a skill. Yep. And monetizing is a skill. Oh, 100%. That's what I tell our, our clients at Pineda Media. I'm like, guys, okay, there's two types of people right now. There is the pure content creator, aka the Mr. Beast when he was first starting. Yep. And then there's the pure entrepreneur, aka everyone who's been on the Bigger Pockets podcast who you've never heard of. Yep. Right? So, like, these guys are really good at business. They're terrible at everything else. So the most impressive people are those who can combine them. You, me, Hormozy, Grant, Patrick, Bed David, because they have figured out how to be a content creator while also being a great entrepreneur. Now, if you can mash those together, it's the cheat code. There's literally no better cheat code in business. Elon is the same thing. Yeah. Elon literally no he bought a social media company to do this. Okay, like <laughs> that's, so it's a baller move right there. Yeah, he yeah. knows. Yep. They all know. Mark Cuban knows. That's why he went on TV like yep. ever since Shark Tank. Mark Cuban wasn't who he was. He's from the old social media and now yep. he's on the new social media. Yep. Kevin O'Leary's the same way. All these TV guys are now merging to social media, you know, because they know they need it. And so it's like, yes, if you merge it, you have the cheat code. All right, repeat after me and then fill in the blank. Okay. The key to social media success is blank. The key to social media success is consistency. At the end of the day, I was actually sitting in Grant Cardone's office a month ago, and he was interviewing me on his show, and he goes, hey, dude, so I got to say, I saw you a couple years ago, and I'm doing the not a good accent, but <laughs> his accent is like, you know, I saw you a couple of years ago, you know, and you had your different colored hair and all this stuff. And, you know, I saw one of your videos and I was like, all right, I like what that guy's saying, you know, and then I saw it again. Then I saw it again and it kept popping up on my feed. And, you know, I saw it for months and months and months. He's like, and I knew you were going to be successful. You know why? Because you're consistent. Mm. He was like too many people when it comes to social media or anything in life, they go really hard at something for a little bit and then they stop. And he's like, you just have been consistent. Like there's not a week that goes by. I don't see you. And it's true. Like in the last three years, since I've been doing social media heavily, I've not missed a week, you know, like content goes out every freaking day, you know? And if I know I'm going to be gone for a week, I filmed double the week before. Mm. So you would never even know. And so 
consistency is the key to winning. And, you know, it sucks for people to hear that because they're like, well, isn't there like a trick to go viral with chat GPT or, or whatever the case is? And I'm like, sure, those are tools you can use to, to help come up with ideas and stuff, but you still got to make the videos every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like if you don't release content every day, what are you doing, right? If you're in a real estate business and you're not talking to sellers every day, how good is the business going to do? Agreed. Right? If you're in any industry, if you're a sales guy and you don't talk to a lead for a week, are you going to close? And that's a realtor's problem. Realtor's problem is they yeah. get some leads and then they go and show them and then the pipeline is dry. So like we are just constantly making content. And the cool thing is when you're constantly making content, you get data on what's working, what's not working. Also, you get repetition. So for me, I mean, I've become a pretty good speaker yeah. just offhand. I have no preparation for anything I do. I could walk on stage, you know, tomorrow and not have a clue what I'm saying. You probably will. I, I don't want to <laughs> say I'm going to, but there's a likelihood that that's what's going to happen tomorrow. And it's just going to, the plan is let's roll. Mm. Like that's the plan, yeah. but it only becomes with repetition. Yeah. You did that because you did it so many times. I'm yeah. the same way. Yeah. You, you do something a thousand times. You're going to be okay at it. Yeah. Hopefully. I'm, except would, for Alex over there, think. he's taking a lot of pictures. He's still terrible. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's let's move on. Sorry, Alex. Please, you're great. You're a phenomenal photographer. Go check out the photos that Alex makes. He's on Instagram at what are you? Alex Scott Felice. Alex Scott Felice. Go check great him out. Photos, They're really good. Great photos. All right. He's also jacked. It? Yes, he is also jacked. That helps. Yeah. All right. One thing we do for this show that we try to do a little differently is every one of our guests, we ask them okay. to pick the charity or the mission that we're going to give all the ad revenue to? Where should we donate the money from this episode toward? Since we are not a full nonprofit yet with Wealthy Kingdom, I'm not going to say that. Okay. One of my favorite charities that we do is Homes for Hope. It's in Mexico. I've built probably like five homes with them. Oh, cool. And dude, it's just such an amazing charity. And we literally build homes in two days. I love it. It's Homes crazy. for Hope. Yep. Hey, sorry to interrupt this amazing podcast, if I do say so myself, to bring you an ad. But you know what? You might be tempted to skip through this and get back to the conversation, and I wouldn't blame you. It's that good. But then you miss out on the free gift I'm going to give you. So hold on a sec. I wrote a book. It's an ebook. I never really officially published it. It's called How the Rich Legally Pay No Taxes. And it's basically a walkthrough on how depreciation works for real estate investors and how you can use the same strategies that I do to pay like nothing in income tax, potentially. It's really cool stuff. And it can even work as a passive investor in syndications. I mean, many of my nearly 2,000 passive investors in Open Door Capital, they are offsetting their income with these strategies. So to learn how it works, get the guide today. You'll read it in under 30 minutes and it could help you save potentially millions of dollars over your lifetime. It's amazing. Get it at odcfund.com slash taxbook. That's odcfund.com slash taxbook. All right, let's move on to, uh, we got three segments in every show. All right. This one's called the three, two, one pivot. So the idea of a pivot being you're moving one direction, something happens, you pivot another direction. So we're going to start with three pivot books that you've read in your life that have changed the direction of your life. Dang, dude, that's a hard question. So... Yeah, three books. Repeat that, the question. Yeah, three, <laughs> three books that have changed the direction of your life in some way. Three books that have changed the direction of my life. Okay. So, I mean, this one's a gimme because I told you on my show, but your book. Woohoo. Okay. That's why I asked it. I just wanted to yeah, use it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I know. It was all a game. But yeah, your book. The No and Low Money Down. No and Low Money Down was mm. literally how I got started in, in house flipping because I didn't know where I was going to get the money, all the stuff. I read in 2014 and I was like, wow. Okay. And then boom. 
I'm a real estate investor. So shout out to your book. Thank you. None of your other books did that for me. So <laughs> they're all terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Don't read the other books. I don't know how yeah. they did, but that book, <laughs> life changing, pivot, right. pivot changing. Second book. Let me think of a second good book I read. Hmm. You can't say the Bible. I know. I mean, that's, that's the daily read. So it's not like I'm pit. Well, I am pivoting every day. Maybe that's mm, why I pivot ooh. so much. Cause I read the Bible every day, man. I want to sound like very smart and life-changing, but... Can I throw a suggestion for you that okay. you told me, and maybe this is not one of your okay, pivot maybe books. maybe I forgot. Tell me. You suggested the book to me, The God I... I think it was The God I Never Knew. Oh, yeah, yeah. Would you call that a pivot book? Oh, for sure. Because you told me it changed your life. Yeah, it was. That's why I bring that up. Yeah. You yeah. know what's... I'm glad you brought that up. My wife is actually reading that right now. Mm. So I read that book about faith, and it was this... You know, we're talking about faith now. So like, you know, I grew up as a Christian in a Baptist church and everything else, and so... You know, it's very like conservative and proper and, you know, it's all good. And then, you know, I experienced a Pentecostal church and a mm. charismatic church and you know, it was weird. And <laughs> it was really weird, yep. but it didn't feel weird because of everything leading up to it. In fact, it felt right. And I was like, this is so weird that like, I don't feel weird by this. And so, you know, I prayed I was like, God, I don't know what I'm feeling or what I'm experiencing, but I want it. And I ended up going to my friends and asking them all these questions. I was like, guys, have you ever seen like miracles? Like, do you speak in tongues? Like, what is going on here? And they're like, yeah. I was like, what? Like, why have you never told me about this? This is crazy. And they're like, we should have a meeting. I was like, okay. So, you know, I meet with a couple of pastors and stuff and they recommend books. And so that was one of the first books I got recommended. And I read it and I was like, wow, this has like been in the Bible the whole time. I don't know why it gets glossed over or why I never saw it this way or why I had this like preconceived belief that like this stuff had stopped, but it drastically changed everything. And then I ended up reading like 10 other books thereafter. Mm. I'm like, all right, that was good, but let me read what he says and let me read the counter arguments and let me read this. And then by the end of it, I felt like the guy, I forgot whatever that movie was where he was an atheist and he was trying to disprove Christianity and then he became mm, yeah, yeah. a Christian. I forgot what it's called. But that's what I felt like. Is that the case for Christ? Case for Christ. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. That's what I felt like. I was like, okay, hold on. I've never believed this stuff, but let me, and I've been in the church forever. And then, yeah, that book, that was a huge pivot moment for me. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it made a little impact. I'm not as far down there as you are probably, but yeah. it definitely moved me more in that direction. So. Yeah. And... Stuff. Yeah, I think for me too, it's what sparked Wealthy Kingdom starting. It's what sparked like me being way more bold on social media in faith and yeah. like just being, you know, not caring what ends up happening from it. Thank you for bringing that up. I forgot about that. Yeah. So we'll go with that as book number two. Book number three, let's say, I was going to say something simple like Atomic Habits, but I've always been very good habits and discipline. So like, it was just like, Reinforcement. Yeah, I was like, wow, okay, I do those things. That's cool. Like, I'm going to actually take this more serious now. A good book I read, I'll bring this up, was a book called Ready, Fire, Aim. Mm. And it talks about the path to going to 100 million. And, you know, for me, you know, you first want to make 100,000, then a million, 10 million. So now it's like, all right, how do we get to 100 million? And, you know, not 100 million in real estate, but like a $100 million revenue business, you know? And he talks about all the problems that go with each stage. He's like, when you're from 1 million to 10 million, these are the problems. I was like, oh my gosh, these are the problems. I can't, 
this is exactly what is happening to me, and I I did not understand why. Okay, I'm buying that book today. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, it's good. And then the next, you know, he's like, all right, so this is the ten to I think fifty million or maybe hundred million, but he's like, these are the new problems you're about to encounter, and that's the stage we're in. And I'm like, wow, like I'm already kind of going through some. I I get it, and it's actually making me want to reread it again. I don't know that I did any kind of like massive. Actually, I did. I definitely went to the team. I was like, guys, this is why we're experiencing this. This is how we got to fix it. This is what we need to do. Mm. This is what we need to focus on. And yeah, that book made me think differently. And then it also like kind of opened my eyes to like, yeah, the path to hundred million isn't like crazy. Yeah. You just need these things for it to happen. Yeah, dude, that's awesome. All yeah. right. I love getting good book recommendations. So I'll get that one. All right. So this is a three, two, one pivot. So the first one was three books. Next one's two people. And then one quote. So two people that have made a pivot on your life that made your life move into a new direction. Hmm. Two people that have made a big pivot. Do they have to like have been personal or could I have like watched a, a YouTube? Like, sure, that, that's fine, yeah. Whatever. Okay, so taking Jesus out of it, obviously. Two normal people. You know what sucks is like whenever I get put on the spot like this, I don't do a lot of reflecting. Mm. I've learned that about my life. Like I read the book and then it's like gone it absorbed into my DNA, mm, whatever yeah. it needed to. And then I don't even remember how it got there. So like so much of the wisdom and things I've learned over the years, I don't even remember how I got it. But <laughs> I'll say this. So one guy, I was actually with him just now. So he is top of mind, but I can for sure say he's affected me a lot was um, my business coach, Gary Harper. Okay. And so he's actually a partner with us now. He runs our one of our coaching programs called Wealthy Business. And so... I hired him at the beginning of 2020 and literally he turned me from like a guy who was hustling into a legitimate business person who That's could, cool. like I never had built an organizational chart. I didn't know what SOP stood for and I had made millions. Yeah. Like I just didn't know anything because I was a baseball player. I was just like, dude, let's just get deals and make money. He's like, bro, have you ever done a pro forma? Have you ever done a budget? <laughs> have you ever like, do you have any kind of like hiring thing or are you just bring them off the street and you just I was like, we don't have any of that. So he helped me legitimize that. And that is what actually allowed us to open so many more businesses. Cause it was like very plug and play mm -hmm. with his system. And so for now to be a partner and he's actually one of our um, board members for wealthy kingdom oh, cool. on the nonprofit side. So to have somebody in my corner, who's a believer, but also like a business coach who knows way more than me, you know, on business in general, right. Like, it's amazing. So he's one. Second one, you know, another person who's made a massive impact. It's hard to say, man, because you, like, have different seasons in your life. So I could yeah. be like, yeah, I mean, when I was playing baseball, this guy was super impactful. You know, I was first starting flipping houses. You were super impactful. We should just go with me then. We, we should just go Brandon, <laughs> you know? When I was, like, starting social media, you know, there were social media guys. Mm. So it's really hard to say. Who do you look up to in the social media space right now? Who's doing an amazing job of what you're trying to do better of? Because I look at you and I'm like, you're doing an amazing, like you are the guy we look to. One of the people that we look to is like an amazing job at social media. Mm. So who do you look to as doing an amazing I, job? I like Steven from Diary of a CEO. Oh doing. God, he kills it. He's yeah. so good. Everything he's doing is just really, really good. Yeah. So it's no surprise why he's blown up. I think on a short form side and like shorter videos, Hormozy obviously kills yeah. it. So he's doing great. Cody Sanchez. They're the hybrids I'm talking about yep. where they're amazing business people, but their production value and their content is just so good. Yeah. And I think too, 
I think about this a lot. Well, I don't think about it a lot, but they're further along in their business journey than I am. And so like, they just know more. You can't trade experience for anything else. Like I can learn from them, but until I actually do it, it's hard to have authority on it. Plus like I can only have authority on what I've accomplished. And, you know, they've been through just a lot more in business. Cause like, even in my business career, I mean, I retired from baseball in 2017. So I've truly only been in business for six years. Like that's what I've really actually focused in business. And then when you see guys like Patrick, but David, who've been doing it since he was like 18 years, the dude's, you know, been business for 30 years. I'm like, I've been in business for six. Yeah. You know, a guy like Cardone has been in business for 40 years and you're like, yeah, it's kind of hard. So, you know, I don't, I don't get in the comparison game. Like I'm just very aware of my position and where I stand in like the totem pole of just like, you know, I have more experience than 99.9% of people. But if I'm looking at the guys I look up to, it's not that I'm behind or I'm slower or I'm not as smart. It's just time. They just have more hours in it. Like there's nothing you can do about that other than just keep going. And it makes me wonder where guys like you, I've told numerous people this and I'll say it again now. And I always use you as an example, actually. I said like the billionaires today are the tech founders of 20 years ago. The billionaires of 20 years from now are the social media slash business people of today. Mm. And I say like Pineda, like Hermosi, like these are the guys that if you can get that today, like, so, you know, Patrick with David and, and. All, they didn't have what we have today, the massive level. No, they're going to be the trillionaires of tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's fascinating to see like that group that you named yeah. uh, and others where they'll be yeah. 20 years from now. You know, yeah, I'll, and I'll just say like now that I'm thinking about it and talking through it, because I didn't want to just give a first answer, I got to give a lot of respect to Cardone. You know, his 10X event in 2018 changed my trajectory massively because I'd never been to a an event. That was my first ever business conference. And I remember there like I had heard him on the podcast and it just happened to be in Vegas. I was like, all right, let's go to this. And literally from that I ended up buying a bunch of stuff. <laughs> I, <laughs> I bought my first guru stuff. Yeah. But you know, that led me to writing my first book, creating my first course, holding my first event. I would have never did any of that stuff. And right yeah. now that is my life now. Yeah. Right. So like I give credit to Grant for that. And I actually, this is crazy. Honestly, like I hate being like a fanboy of you because we're friends and like I consider <laughs> us peers. So like it really is full circle to like have you speaking at WealthCon and then talking about, you know, what it was like 10 years ago, first reading your book. Right. So it's like a cool full, full circle moment, but it, it was full circle for me and Cardone because I went to his thing in 2018. I had heard him on the podcast and I was like, dude, this guy is like killing it in real estate, changing lives. Like regardless of what you think about him, you know, he's doing good things. So, you know, and he changed my life. So that's all I can say. Right. But I ended up going to 10X again this last year because it was back in Vegas. But this time, Grant and I are friends. Mm. And so I remember in 2018, just looking at the stadium, I was like, one day... I'm going to throw an event like this. That was in 2018. Didn't have a coaching, didn't have anything. I was just like, I know I've got what it takes to do something like this. So then I go to his event again. Now we're friends and talking with him and the team. They're like, dude, come backstage with us. We got T-Pain in the back. It's going to be tight. And I'm like, all right. So we go backstage and everybody's like, what's going on? Oh, and then whatever, right? So then we're just hanging out and T-Pain freaking is like right there and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is like full circle of like 
Five years later, I'm back in Vegas, but now I'm backstage and, you know, Grant and I have done a bunch of stuff together. He wants to do deals together. I'm filming for his TV show. I'm actually going next week to finish filming. And it's just crazy, dude. (laughs) I'm just like, wow. It only took five years to like reach the quote unquote top Mm. of being next firsthand. That's so cool. But he was in here for a whole day. We were filming his TV show, like literally just right here. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, paved the way for definitely a lot of us is like what's possible, you know, like just that, that bigger thinking. So love it. Well, on that note, one quote that's made a big impact on your life, like a pivot quote. You may not have one off the top of your head, but Mm. sometimes people have those life quotes that resonate. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny. I was making a presentation for WealthCon tomorrow. And so I literally got five quotes. (laughs) So I could just give you one of the quotes I got. (laughs) There was a quote in there from Michael Jordan that was pretty good, where he was basically like, I can accept failure. What I cannot accept is not trying. Mm. And that's the way I've always thought about it. I was like, the the regret I would have not attempting something big would far outweigh anything else. So like, I'm a gunslinger at heart. So like, I'm going to be like, this has a chance to go big. Let's do it. And if I fall on my face, I fall on my face and we'll pick up the pieces where they may, but at least I know. And I've never once had to live with regret of like, oh man, I wonder what would happen if I did that. And that's what was happening when I first started flipping houses and I just didn't realize it was, you know, I had to max out all my credit cards to do it. And my mom, who was a realtor, was like, that's such a bad idea. You're going to ruin your future. That neighborhood is really bad. And I was like, mom, I literally have nothing to lose. Like I'm broke. (laughs) If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I'll go bankrupt and I'll whatever. I'm still broke. I'm still broke, bankrupt, or I'm still broke, not bankrupt. Like what's the difference? That was my mindset. I was like, I have to at least try. And if it works, great. And it did. Love it, man. Well, three more quick questions and we'll be out here. Uh, Better life question is what have you done recently? A thing you've done in your life in the last year that's given you a better life. Just any tactical thing or anything you've recently done. What have I done this year that's given me a better life? This is kind of dumb, but since we moved in the new house, like I have a gym in the house Mm. and I have a golf simulator in the house and I just have this whole quicker routine where it's like, I do my morning routine, you know, prayer, Bible. Then I just walk downstairs, I get my workout in, then I walk to the simulator, get my practice in for golf. And so what used to take me, call it three hours, takes me two. Dude, that's that's awesome. And so like, yeah, that's like- It's so efficient and like my life is way better not having to drive and go to all these different spots. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Love it. That's not a dumb question. I'm going to answer it. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> uh, I love the tactical ones. They're just like very like real. All right. What are you excited about right now? And then where do people find you? WealthCon, dude. That's what we're Wealth excited Con. about. That's it's WealthCon about. week. I mean, by the time this airs, it'll be gone. But, yeah, but there'll be another one. There'll be another one next week or next quarter. Yep. But yeah, I mean, it's our event. We hold every quarter. Over a thousand people come attend it each and every Crazy. quarter. And it's here in Las Vegas. By the time this airs, I think it's going to be October 5th and 6th or something. October 4th or 5th. Just WealthCon.org is how, you, yeah. how you're how you going to find it. And dude, I love event week. Like, even though I'm an introvert at heart, I love just meeting these people, learning the speakers. You're speaking at this one, like, you know, behind the stage, all the things that happen. These events fire me up. And people were like, why Why do you throw a freaking massive event every quarter? I'm like, because freaking we can <laughs> and it's tight. Yeah. 
So I love it. And where do people find you? Where do you want them to follow you at? Threads. <laughs> find me on Threads, Twitter, t- you know, everything. No, honestly, the best thing to do is just, I'd go to wealthyway.com. Okay. You can get all the things we've talked about on the show, like with the book, with free resources and all this stuff. Perfect. Yep. Duke, thank you so much. You're yeah. amazing. Thank, thank you. Thank you, bro. And that is the show. Thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of A Better Life with Brandon Turner. I hope you enjoyed the insights and the wisdom uh, brought to you today on this show. If you found value in this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. Uh, Your feedback actually does help us improve the show. We look at the feedback, I look at the feedback, and we can reach more people with our message of living a better life. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow me on social, Beardy Brandon. And hey, before I go, this show is all about the habits, actions, and beliefs that can give you a better life. But in case you're interested and you want to know my opinion on what it takes to live the best life ever, and that includes some of my kind of weird spiritual beliefs maybe, check out abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Abetterlife.com slash bestlife. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you next time on A Better Life with Brandon Turner.